Welcome to Azrae Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we talk peace, love, and pancakes with Amy Rousseau, founder and driving force behind Toast Restaurant here in Asbury Park. We talk to Amy about the birth of Toast, its expansion from Montclair to Asbury Park, and now Red Bank. What's it like to get a rave review in the New York Times when you least expect it, and how the pandemic has affected her business? Welcome, Amy. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official city of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark. So subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. But Bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. From Route 35 to Convention Hall, Asbury Pod covers it all. Asbury Pod, I love you. I love you. Welcome to Asbury Pod, Amy. Thank you for doing the show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, so it's a, this is super this late and one. airy, Amy. We want to just like talk to you about what you're kind of seeing downtown. We've had um, Russell on. We had Danny B. Um, you know, a bunch of downtown business owners, more pre-pandemic um, as opposed to later in the pandemic to, um, talk about, you know, precautions they've taken, but, um, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, what brought you to Asbury Park, what brought you to open up a place in Asbury Park. And I have to tell you, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast was because you were, um, I mean, I just, I feel like you're really authentic about what you and what your staff are going through at Toast and, um, and, and and I, I appreciate that and also experience it. So when somebody's uh, writing on social media what I'm seeing, I'm like, what is up with that? So um, <laughs> so just tell to get there, right? So so tell us a little bit about yourself. What brought you to Asbury Park? Tell us about your business. And I'm going sure. to also try to text um, Ginny as well. Sounds good. Um, so the short story of what got me to Asbury Park was friends of mine um, had a house here. I had not really spent much time in Asbury Park. I had the Toast in Montclair running for about three or four years at that point. And friends of mine walked by this location, took a picture of it and sent it to me and said, this should be your next Toast. I was looking to expand, but I had never thought to expand down here. I wanted to expand closer to Montclair for all the obvious reasons of don't put, you know, 300 miles on your car daily. Um, so these friends kind of knew what was, they felt like they knew what was happening in 2010 in Asbury Park. And they said, you should really come down here. I think it would be a great fit. That's like as short a story as I could tell you. And then since then they regret it because I barely see them. 
because now, now <laughs> is this 2015-ish? Is that no, about? It was 2010. 2010. Wow. Yeah, this is our 10th summer. It's hard to believe. Wow. Um, so that was it. I came by, I saw the location. I was renting a house in Bradley Beach at the time, just for a few days, just to get away from Montclair. I came over, I looked at it and I made an offer. And that was that, that was the old market in the middle. And it was what I thought at the time, because my children were still pretty young. I have three kids. I thought, oh, I'll just have like one and a half restaurants. Everybody told me that Asbury was still very seasonal. And I thought, all right, well, interesting. Well, that, that should work out for me then. One and a half sounds better than two. Two sounded like a bit of an undertaking, especially with the, di the distance. So there I, that the rest is history. I opened in Asbury Park. I was, there was so much crossover between Montclair and the Jersey Shore in general, but so much in Montclair and Asbury. I mean, I still have people constantly coming up to me. They're like, we know you from Montclair or vice versa. Or, you know, we used to go there. We all, you know, it, it was, it happened immediately though. And it's still happening. Which we is had a real estate agent on the show, Sonia O'Brien, who was uh, Montclair to, she, she had a house in Montclair, sold her house in Montclair and then moved to Asbury. So it has um, a very yeah. similar vibe. So it made sense. And being that I had friends here that also were pretty involved with some uh, of the churches and communities, they lived next to a church in town at the time. I knew it. Now I don't. Um, and I thought, well, that's kind of how I got Montclair going was I thought if I could give people what they want the first time between, and you know what it's like, if you have children, then you know that your children's friends and there's gymnastics, there's church, there's Taekwondo. And I thought if I could just get everybody that kind of knows me, even on the fringe to come in and try it one time, and I don't give them a really crappy experience and exact opposite, give them a really nice experience, then it just grows. It's like the old, what is it, Vidal Sassoon, and then they told two friends, and they told two friends, and that's how it worked, really, with Asbury Park, same exact thing. So we opened in the summer, I think, of 2010, no, 2011. So we started building in 2010, and we opened in the summer of 2011, and that was it. We've uh, made and at that point. Ago. Asbury was still, there wasn't a lot on Cookman. At that no, point, actually right? it, was a, it was that, I don't know if you remember 2010, but it was also the really, really bad December snowstorm, which kind of leveled Asbury for a while. So I yeah, so people stay, so Joe and I, the reason Joe and I know each other is we lived in the Santander for years uh -huh. and this couple, I don't know where they were driving. I'm still Facebook friends with her. Um, <laughs> she... Their, their car got stuck in the snow. They slept in the lobby of the Santander for like two days, two to three days. Yeah, I definitely. Think. The state's the state snowplow got stuck in the snow outside yep. the Santander. It was a total. I remember that whole snow. story because I remember trying, to, I had just gotten the keys and I couldn't get there. But then I was also responsible for getting all of the snow out of the backyard because there was condominiums above it. I'd never had that kind of, you know, uh, responsibility and business, you know, ownership, my building in Montclair is freestanding. There's nobody living above it. So I had to get down there. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is not one and a half. <laughs> this is already not one and a half restaurants. And so we opened that, that next summer and there wasn't, not only was there not around, not much around, but where the 550 building is now, I then, you know, get through the snow a couple months later maybe even weeks later, I show up and there is a giant hole in the middle of the block. And I was like, holy shit, like what's going there? What's happening? 
that, and I thought, did I just miss it? Has there been a giant hole in the middle of the street? I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. So no, there wasn't. There was Old Man Rafferty's. There was Old Rick Man Wall. Rafferty's, right? They always had terrible food. They had all, it, oh, there, but that was, there was Moonstruck Behind Us, Old Man Rafferty's. Brick Wall. Brick Wall. And then like four days before we opened, Ivan and Andy's opened. And of course, oh. Taka, but Taka was in a different location at the time. And Munch was still there. Munch closed, you know, and that's where Mogo is now. So there was a few different things, but it, I mean, it really was a bit sleepier. I mean, for sure, but it didn't take very long. I feel like, you know, people are like, oh, it came around in the last few years. I'm like, eh. I feel like if I looked at my sales, it's pretty much the same since about 2012 till now, at least in the summer. Where there's the biggest difference is in the off season, I think, and especially this last one. And as horrible as the pandemic was, um, you know, there's some good things I think that have come out of it and working remotely and being able to just, you know, go to your, what was your secondary home and now make it your primary. And we've made, you know, a ton of friends that way this past year who have been so supportive. And, you know, that that's one of the upsides, I guess, of the pandemic. And it really, all of Asbury, I think is just like a very similar, like I said, community to Montclair, but in a lot of ways, so much tighter. Like, I don't know anybody anymore in Montclair. I think maybe I did when I was first opening up the business. But again, when you have small kids and you're doing that, you're, you know, you're not really socializing. We didn't have a pandemic to also bring us together. Um, you know, I've met, Amy, you and I have done at least 10 interviews together, whether it's together on the same screen or they're going to you and then coming to me and you and I text, you know, whenever I have, I, maybe this is a bad thing, but if I ever have an issue, I'm like, I just <laughs> know that I can, you know, and thankfully it's not often, but every once in a while. So it's just, you, you are great with interviews, Amy. So I get, um, very, people think like, reporters are let me like sit around and contemplate who to call and who would be best for an interview. And what I really need are people who can be ready in six minutes after <laughs> I send a reporter there. No, I mean, that's sincerely like, it's not like they call me days ahead and no, I'm like, I know. Hey, I'm coming to Asbury. I'll be there at this time. And you know, we want entertainment, hospitality, restaurant and retail or something like that. That's never how it is. That's I'm here. I'm parking. Can you come talk about beach badges and I want to talk to a restaurant or, right. you know, or I want to talk to a retail or something. And you are on my quick dial because you are very, um, you are good uh, at very last minute um, interviews. Yes, I'm actually best at very last minute. If I have to anticipate anything, then I get nervous, get blotchy. I mean, you name it. I, or I forget. I've actually, you know, have forgotten about an interview. And the next thing I know, Luckily, all these have been through Zoom, but I'm pulling over a, you know, Cheesequake rest area between restaurants and doing a Zoom interview. I mean, how long did you, uh, you mentioned it earlier, how long did you have the restaurant open in Montclair before you decided to expand down here? Three to four years, is that what you said? Was, I think it was three years and then it was four because we opened in 2007 in Montclair and we opened 2011, but I had bought and started building in 2010. I, I brought it up because Amy mentioned Old Man Rafferty's, or we mentioned Old Man Rafferty's, and they had a similar plan, right? It was a popular small business in New Brunswick. I, I you know, full disclosure, yeah. I was I was a line cook for seven years, so I knew I was working in New Brunswick when Old Man Rafferty's in their first location, which was like a little tiny coffee shop storefront, 
And then they moved around the corner from where my restaurant was. And so we saw them as a competitor and they got very successful and big, but their transition down here didn't work. Um, they never got the traction um, that they have in New Brunswick. And, you know, so why do you think your that's restaurant seems to- space too. That's space, that, that space a was probably, that was a monumental space. space. Maybe that was the issue, but yours seems to have taken off right from the beginning. Right for right, you know, or maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe I don't know that, but no, 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 it, you're right. Um, I don't know if it was my first one, but it wasn't their first one. So my best guess as to why Old Man Rafferty's, I think it was timing. If I had, I, I don't know the inner workings. So if it was bad management, not a good, you know, a, a well executed plan and business that I can't attest to. Um, however, like you said, it was very popular in New Brunswick. I don't know, like, again, Montclair and Asbury Park have a very similar vibe. I do not think that New Brunswick and Asbury have a similar vibe, where I've seen things that are more chainy work in, New, in areas like New Brunswick uh, for a very long time. And actually, I can't think of any off the top of my head, except for Dunkin' Donuts on Main Street. Like in downtown, there's not chainy restaurants that are, you know, um, that I've seen really even try to come in. And if they did, they didn't last. I, I really can't think of any, and they might've been prior to me. I think there's a sophistication in Asbury, even though it's very chill and very beachy, but you know, there's a lot of ex Manhattanites. There's a lot of, you know, foodie culture. There's a lot of great food. So if you're not in that, if you're going to just kind of be a, a modern day hula hands, which is really what they were. Yeah. You know, and I think they just maybe missed the mark on the timing. If they had been a bar pub now, as we know as the Ale House is there now, which I've never been to, but I think it has a similar vibe. I'm not sure. Um, and I, I, you also can't look at a business, as you know, like Ale House and say, oh, it's so busy. They must be doing really well because mm -hmm. it costs you $100 to, <laughs> you know how the business goes. Right. You can look busy and run your business into the ground. So I'm not sure. Old Man Rafferty's to me, I don't think ever looked busy. And as far as our success there, I think we came at a really good time. Um, we came a year before, a year before Sandy. Um, but it was I still think Sandy's about, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a year before Sandy. So it was only our second summer that we had just gone through. We got extremely lucky. I think the town did in general compared to some other towns, but you know, um, the person above me at that time, a guy by the name of Nick texted me and he said, the, the lake is rising. We're losing power. See you on the other side. And I was in Montclair <laughs> and I just thought, oh gosh, what am I walking into? And aside of losing power for a few days, we didn't get the damage. Um, and again, a community building event, because as soon as I could open, I did. And that was one of the things that I thought I never wanted to be close for a snow day. I never wanted to be close for a hurricane. I have a very hard time. We we finally with COVID started closing on Tuesdays. And it's not that I'm, you know, for no other reason than I just like being available to the community. Um, if, the, you know, hindsight's 2020, people say, should you have closed during COVID? And I'm like, absolutely. If I didn't want to, be at least something that was open during the week in downtown Asbury Park, because there really wasn't a lot, right? We already talked about brick wall closed. So 
I think there's also, um, you know, a significance to the community around us, like Joe Grillo, you know, who we all know and love, he's across the street. You have like just your regular, all your regulars that come in all the time in when you don't think that you're going to see two employees, whether it's a snowstorm or whether it's COVID and things are going crazy. So I just think, again, old man Rafferty's may have just missed the mark and timing was not on their side. So you brought up a couple of things, Amy, I want to talk to you about. One is, so why, so we talked about Old Man Rafferty's, Brick Walmart in the middle, all places that serve either lunch or dinner, all places with liquor licenses, you know, why breakfast? Did, did you, <laughs> did you know what the drunk, drunk factor in Asbury Park was going to be like and was, and was like, hell no? No. Or, um, so when I decided to go back to work, I was in a completely different career. I was in marketing and advertising in the fragrance industry. That was my post-college career. And then I stopped to have children for a little while. Well, I started having kids and realized that I couldn't do that job anymore. So I opened a gas station and a liquor store because that's what you do when you have small kids. Um, in Bayonne, New Jersey, of all places. I, wanted, I was really into wine. I thought it would be an incredible, it was a great segue from fragrance flavor to wine. And my brother- In a, in a gas station though? I feel like I'm not getting the prime day like Probably two okay. different buildings. Okay. My brother at the time was a high-low mechanic. We found this property. I was like, I, it was right on the other side of the Bayonne Bridge. So what's cheaper in New Jersey than New York at the time? This was again, 1997. So fast forward, third career. I wanted to open my own business. It was time for me to get back to doing something. I didn't want to go back into- fragrance. I sold my liquor store because that was, if you thought restaurants were a lot of work, that was ridiculous. The hours were absurd. So I thought I can't raise kids and be in the restaurant business at night. There was just no way I'd never see them. And at the time I had a two, four and seven year old. So I was actually in Turning Point in Long Branch and I had been going over business plans. I was going to open up an Italian restaurant. I'm an Italian Irish Jersey girl, originally from Jersey City. That's what I was going to do. And again, 14, 15 years ago, there weren't 3,000 Italian restaurants. So I thought that's what I wanted to do, but I couldn't because of the hours. So I was actually at the turning point in Long Branch with my dad having breakfast. And at the time, they had their menu on their placemat and it showed their hours of operation. At, I think it said eight to four. And I was like, what? And I grew up going to the, you know, I skied my whole life. I went up to Vermont all the time. I'd go to these great big, you know, New England breakfast places. I'm like, why can't we get that at home? My dad was in the diner business. I'm like, it's just an upscale diner that you don't have to run at night. And it, honestly, it all just clicked. I said, I can do that with kids. You know, I, this is a no brainer to me. And I, and Montclair at the time had one place, but they were open breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it was super duper small. Um, it has since expanded. It's Raymond's if you don't, if you know Montclair at all, and it's an institution. It's been there. I used to go to Raymond's in, when I was in my other industry, like when I was in fragrance. So I just thought there's enough people in Montclair. It's a big enough town. See how it goes. And I took a flyer, literally, we opened in May and it was life-changing in, um, I think August. It was like the second Sunday in August of that year. Uh, a New York Times, they stopped doing the food section, but the New York Times still did a Jersey Quick Bites. And she just came into the restaurant and I actually happened to have my two-year-old 
on my hip and was like pouring coffee and doing everything else. And I didn't even know she was who she was until the bitter end and didn't realize what it would do to the business. But there's so many, just like down here, there's so many media people in Montclair. Um, like it ran, uh, like I said, on the Sunday times, which was life-changing for any New Jersey restaurant. And it was at the time, like I said, they were pulling away from doing reviews. So it was really just like a, a sunshiny kind of sparkly piece of, you know, here's this woman, she's got her kid on her hip, go check it out, great breakfast. And then that happened. And then David Carr, who was a business columnist for the New York Times, happened to be standing outside. I thought he was homeless. I was going to feed him. <laughs> um, he has since passed away, but he was a gem of gems. And I really thought he was homeless. And we got to talk. And when he walked, his cigarette ash was this long. We were talking about waffles. He told me mine was soggy one day and great the other day. I was like, why is this homeless man giving me a food review? Um, and then he got into a pretty decent car and drove away. And then a few weeks later, he came in and gave me his business card. And I was like, oh. And then he hooked me up with another interview. That's all that really happened. You know, that's honestly and truly how it went down. I just thought I'm the most average person I know. I eat like really shitty food. I eat really, really great food. <laughs> I've got kids. I, you know, if I like it, somebody else is going to like it. And they yeah, do. but no, you didn't like grow up like, so sometimes when we talk to people, like they grew up in the restaurant business or they, you know, love to cook or, you know, there's some sort of narrative about food. And- a little bit of that. So, yeah. So my father was like a secondary, he was the bit, he was the money guy in restaurants, but my dad was in warehousing and transportation. So it didn't exactly translate, but we were a huge foodie family. Like I had the grandmother that started five days before the holiday, cooking for the holiday. And because I was the youngest of six, my parents divorced. I was with my dad a lot. And I was also with, that meant I was with my grandmother because he was working all the time. So just what you do. It was like that multi-generational. And I did love to cook, but one of the things that they didn't do well was breakfast. That just wasn't their thing. They made all these other monstrous meals. I mean, you know, I would have a side of chicken cutlets at every meal. That was a side. Now that's people's dinner. But at the time it was you get an English muffin and maybe orange marmalade if it was like a fancy day for breakfast. And I just got really into, I was in Hawaii once and I had like a Cajun Ono Benedict. I was like, my life has now changed. Um, and then plus traveling again, Jersey girl, Jersey city, then Rutherford really my whole life. I was never in Europe and never exposed to that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden I'm traveling with this business that I was with seeing what everybody else did and that comes up with why the name is toast. While some of the breakfasts were amazing in France and here and there, Germany, not so much. And I had to go there a lot because it was a German based company. And I finally was saying to somebody, I was like, I just want to go home and have tea and toast. Like, that's all I wanted. I just wanted, you know, pasta and tea and toast. Those were the two things I was craving. So when it came time to name the restaurant, I also left it up to a two, four and seven year old. So it was almost like the crack that they had come up with pretty creative things, but we all agreed on toast. And oh, I'm cut. Go, go ahead, Joe. No, I want to go back when when the New York Times uh, puts a review of your restaurant in the Sunday Times. Does that threaten to blow up your business? Like suddenly, oh, it was insane. you have to ramp up your production more than you perhaps had anticipated? Yeah, and actually, I kept the um, like all the receipts from back then of that first year 
because it is unbelievable. Like May, May was okay. And I used to have this thing, same brother. Um, I, he would come visit me at the restaurant and I said, if I didn't break a thousand dollars in sales, you have to pay for your waffle. And he would, because you know, he's 10 years older than me. He's my older brother. He wanted mm-hmm. to see me succeed. But I laugh now because it wasn't until COVID from that New York times article until COVID then he had to buy his meals again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but it changed everything. It changed how many people I had to have on staff. It changed. I was actually in my kitchen. I was making all the scones every day. I was making the pancake base every day. I was doing literally like I was back of house and I immediately could not keep up anymore. So it was me and two guys. Then it became three of them and I was on the outside and it's just progressed from there. People ask me all the time, do you work in your kitchen? I'm like, not anymore. I'm just not quick enough. When we had, we had Jackie Sharp who used to have purple glaze and Dom on, and I don't know, was it the New York times? I forget, but they had the same experience where some sort of kind of national syndicate did a, you know, they had thought purple glaze would kind of be this retirement for them where they would sit around and do the New York times crossword puzzle on occasionally <laughs> donuts. And then I don't, I don't remember now which syndicate did it, but somebody did it. And that kind of blew them up. You know, you forget, I think even me as a council person, you forget um, you know, what these do, but the, the New York Times for a long time, it still does, does these kind of fluff pieces that I don't know that it really captures the complexity of Asbury Park in them, but inevitably people read them and then come to Asbury Park, you, you know, no question about it. But yeah. Amy, I want to give a little bit to COVID because I feel like there's a lot to talk about with COVID. Um, oh. And so I'm going to ask you a little bit that we asked some other businesses. So it's it's January, it's February of 2020. Is this on your radar? Are you like, oh, people are... What's barely. That? Barely. I'll be honest with you. On March 12th, which was the day that Broadway shut down, et cetera, et cetera. Was that me? I apologize. No, a, yeah, that was in my ear. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know actually how to turn that off. I never know how to turn those off either on my computer. Anyway, don't worry, don't worry about it. I fixed it. I lowered my. All right. I apologize. No, it wasn't. So on March 12th, this tells you how off the radar it kind of was for me. I was actually with a friend of mine who does production in, on Broadway and he took the night off. He was working Jagged Little Pill and he took the night off. Oh my and- God. So wait, right. Be- so Mar- the end of March, what was it? When oh, two weeks before we shut down, it's the end of February. I borrow Russell, Russell Lewis is my neighbor, Russell and Andrew, Russell owns Watermark. I borrow their apartment in the city because I've gotten tickets to Jagged Little Bell and we never, ever go anywhere. Heather That's and I so are funny. like the, the least. So did you get to see it, planet. first of all? So we see it, but it's, it's <laughs> about a week, maybe 10 days before shutdown. It's wall to wall people. And we're sitting there in a little bit like, oh, if this is something then we may or may not be in some trouble because we are clearly sitting wall to wall. I think it was, um, anyway, it was like the last weekend in February. that we went. Yeah. So that whole, uh, so I'm at Atlantic city was the point. So clearly it wasn't completely on my radar to think that, Oh, this is like gonna, uh, you know, really shut us down immediately. And while we were in Atlantic city, we looked behind us. Actually my friend looked behind him and he goes, I don't need to brush back. I was like, what? He said, and he pointed to the screen. I have a picture of it. We're sitting there eating like cracked crab and drinking martinis because he just lost his, you know, his job indefinitely at that point. You know, Broadway was shutting down. I came back 
the next morning, made some decisions to try to get ahead of it. But that was really, um, you know, obviously those first couple of weeks of March, I feel were we were all ping pongs. Oh, don't, don't worry about it. It's not going to be anything. Oh, it's going to be something. Oh, wear the mask. Don't wear the mask. I mean, we've all lived it. Um, so no, I really wasn't completely tuned in. We did stop seating indoor. We brought it down to 50% capacity. I would say maybe four days ahead of what other people were doing. And it wasn't actually um, particularly my doing. Um, my partner at the time um, was very concerned and more in, I try to stay off. You know, that's why I say those rants that sometimes, Amy, you see on social media, it takes me a lot to get there. And I do try to, there's like a balance between you know, keeping my sanity and, you know, being naive and there's memes about it, but it's true. Oh, there's my son and my grand dog. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was adamant. He's like, we have to close. And I was like, do we, do we really have to close? Um, so we did. And, you know, I, his, he's usually more in tune of what's going on in the world in, in general. Um, I'm, you know, I have the three businesses. He was managing one at the time. Um, so we did. So we got ahead of it, but no, I never saw what happened happen. And that's why, you know, I touched on it before. If people ask me in hindsight, now, how would I do it? You know, would I have done things differently? Absolutely. Had we all known what that plan was, but you know, in April, when we thought, or in March, when we thought we'd be back open in April, you know, it was as much for my own sanity as it was like, keep it open. I started the frontline appreciation group in Red Bank. I was doing, you know, the Asbury Park dinner table. I was doing fulfill. I was doing, you know, we were bringing sandwiches to the police station whenever, you know, whenever we had time. I was doing everything I could to one, keep my employees working, at least like the core full timers. And myself I mean, really you know if there's an i have a complete work addiction there's no there's no way you open three restaurants in nine years without it pretty much so that's my addiction and i was like there's no, if i stay home i'm gonna lose my mind um so we made you know my son who you just saw his flannel walk by he stayed um and worked with me literally every single day he we got delivery yes graphics adam was amazing he was doing signage at the time like again the community got together and we stayed open. Probably a giant mistake financially. However, then there were, you know, the grants that were amazing and the the PPP loans and the RRF, and you just had to stay on top of it. Um, that's a whole nother thing. Like I can go on a complete rant about how I feel like some of this grant money has gone so overboard that it's actually made COVID worth it to some businesses, which is a little nauseating to even say out loud. But if you look at some of the grant money and then people still closed, it's it's a little bit alarming. Um, and it's all public record. So I'm sure like something's gonna happen to, and I'm not just saying like in town, I'm saying everywhere, like nationwide. There's, you know, huge companies that got 10, 20 million dollars and they needed none of it. And, you know, other people got nothing because they didn't do it on time or they didn't have seven CPAs working on it. So back to uh how I would have done it differently. I probably just would have closed for about two or three weeks at the very beginning, you know, okay. because then by May, we knew that we'd eventually get outdoor, but that's, that was a long April and May. I mean, we normally, just to give you an idea, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a weekly, an average week in off season would be about $20,000, right? Like that's what we would gross in the restaurant and off week in the winter. 
and we did $12,000 in April. The month. entire month. month. Yeah. So when people are like, was it worth it? The answer is no. Can you make it, was it worth it staying open for the sanity? And I kept all, well, I kept three of my kitchen guys. They just rotated out all that. Yes. Financially is a completely different question. And the answer right. is no, but we were made whole. I was, you know, very smart going into it. And I, I feel like, and I might be jumping ahead a little bit. Everybody's worried about all the restaurants that have closed during the pandemic. I actually don't think that that's as much of the issue as there's going to be a bigger problem with the labor crisis. I think more restaurants are going to close now and not just because they can't get labor. It's because they can't get crab because they can't get paper products because they can't get, it, it, it goes on and on and on. And so I feel like, I don't know why I picked this day a long, long time ago, I kept saying November 22 and people thought I was misspeaking and I meant 21. I'm like, I don't see this actually chilling out and us all getting bored with it until like November 22, because it just seems like historically it's taken that long to get out of like major funks, whether it's recessions, whether it's, you know, flus, whether it's, you know, Sandy, Irene, you name it a year is just not enough. And this is still going on as we know. So, so, two, so I got to, I got to circle back to two things before you, before you go back. On. So, so I'm circling back to when we eventually allow, cause you were with me during this fight with the governor on indoor dining. So I want to, I have to touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I have to touch on there, you know, again, Russell's my neighbor, Marilyn lives down the street. Um, I obviously have a lot of conversations with you. What I saw was really so many businesses so stressed out during this time and just, you know, I would see Russell pacing on the phone and it was, you know, it obviously was stressing me out to watch so many of our small businesses who I know personally um, struggle. So when outdoor dining happens and you're able to open outdoor dining, so, so two questions to that. One is it worth it at that point? And two, what is the labor shortage at, at that stage? Because to so, me, I've seen the labor shortage get worse as yeah. the years progressed. It has. And I'll tell you something else about customers. So I, I, I live in Esbury, so I obviously know a lot of people in hospitality. So one friend of mine who's a waitress at Porta said that, and you'll have to you'll have to speak to this as well. She said that when people went out during the height of the band, pandemic, eating outside, they were so nice and they were so grateful at the beginning because they were so happy to get out of their house after months of being in their house. They were so grateful to the hospitality industry and the people in it to come out and come to work. And, and really at that point, we didn't know how much you were risking your life to do that. And that people were so over tipping and thank you for water and just really wonderful. And then shit changed, right? And, and shit changed drastically. And so anyway, just like a couple of topics I want to try to talk, I, I want to try to touch on in the next like 10 or 15 minutes, Yeah, you open and then tell me like the, what you've seen with the labor shortage. So the first summer, I agree. So I think everybody was very um, thrilled. You know, we had been fighting. We were one of the last states to get even outdoor dining. Um, I think it came after some parts of New York City. So we were all, you know, very excited about it. I think. The warmer weather brought the numbers down. There was a, a lot of different reasons why I think people, it was still very early. And the, as far as I'm 
I can see. And again, I make pancakes and eggs for a living. I am not a therapist. I'm not a scientist, but shit changed when I think the entire country felt like they had been wronged, you know, and they, you know, I've been doing so much research on this because I'm trying to figure out why. Um, I normally expedite in my restaurant in the summer because I need to control the flow of the restaurant somehow, right? So there's only two places you can do that. You can host or you can expedite. And expedite. What does ex- I don't even know what, ex- I don't know what you mean. <laughs> you haven't worked at a restaurant. <laughs> I have You're in the kitchen, but you're working the line. Basically you're like, organi- you're the conductor, right? You get everything lined up so that your real food comes out same time as your eggs, your salads, and it all goes out to the table and the food runners and the servers take it. But it's 122 degrees in that kitchen, right? So I'm getting a little on in my age, just turned 50. I was like, I think I'm going to host because I can do it from there as well. And I trained some people to run an expedite and they can figure that out. I'm so glad that I actually chose to do that because the shift this summer has been so aggressive that the people, I mean, the, and I, it's me, I'm the owner. I can actually, I have broad shoulders. I can take it, but I also don't have to take it all. I've got, um, you know, uh, the wherewithal to be, you know, grace under pressure, so to speak. But when you keep going and keep going, the I, I, it's like the 1970s though, again, the amount of times people have asked me to tip me to get them a, a table quicker. I'm like, where, where are we? It, and there's pancakes in there. Like what is happening? Um, and then, you know, well, what can I do to get it a better, you know, when we're on an hour wait, what can I do to get a table faster? I said, show up an hour earlier. And, you know, it's not really, my humor is very direct at times because I really want to tell them to shut up, but I'm not going to tell them to shut up. Um, but it's gotten to the point where I've had to twice, I've had to throw customers out and twice I've had to say, we're not going to, I'm sorry that you've waited, but your behavior is, I'm not going to actually serve you anymore because it's gotten that bad and it gets that aggressive and you're a moron. And what do you mean we have to wear masks and, you know, I mean, you name it from trying to tell people, you know, that they need a mask to walk in there. Yes. I, I do. I know if it makes sense or not. I don't, but I'm just following the rules because whether I agree with it, you agree with it, it's the rules. And as much as I want to be like a barnstormer and all of this, I'm not going to do it. And we don't know if it's safe or not. Like, I feel like in five or seven years, we should all get together again and go, all right, that we did that good. We didn't do that good. Like who knows yet? We have no idea. And it's been ever evolving, but you know, we're morons for making them wear masks. We're not more, we're morons for not making them wear masks at the table. You know, why would anybody want to eat inside? Why, you know, plastic cup. It's one thing to go after you, maybe (laughs) you own three restaurants, you're, you know, in your late forties, you, and you're thick skin, but, but when I'm seeing people go after that's what I was just the barista or, I mean, I have to, I, I, I will start to get in a fight, especially in a place like Asbury where our hospitality are really like family to us. We've known the bartenders and the waiters and the waitresses for five, 10 or 20 years, you know, for 20 or 30 years. So, so <laughs> seeing, you know, I don't, I'm not, how do you protect the 17 year old. So that's why I'm at the front still. I mean, I'm, I always laugh. I'm like, I'm the most over-invested host ever in the history of ever, but it is, like I said, the only place that I can control it. So before last summer I had my daughter, um, 
who is now 17, but at the time 16, and a very good friend of hers were the hosts. Maeve's grown up in the industry, so she also, but the masks kind of helped them at the time because as you're getting berated, and they also know what I, you know, and I would be there with them a lot, so they knew how to handle a hard situation. And really, I mean, I've stepped in and I actually, it's a kind of a funny story because I heard that, that Maeve and uh, Victoria were getting screamed at. That's all I heard. And I was like, what? And I went barging to the front and I started screaming at this guy and Maeve in my ear goes, wrong person, wrong person, wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I was in his face and this man had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. I was like, I'm so sorry, it's not you. And then she points over and everybody on the line pointed to the guy who I should have been yelling at. And I was like, oh my God. And all I said was, you're not going to talk to, you know, you're not going to talk to my staff like that. You're not going to talk to my barista. It's just, we sell pancakes and eggs and we do the best job that we possibly can do. I don't tolerate rudeness from my, my staff to customers. I wouldn't, I don't tolerate it. What happened to the customers always right? I'm like, they're always right until they're an asshole. That's what I tell everybody. Right. And they that's all the rules right that I, I go by. So, And you keep saying pancakes and breakfast, but Amy, if, if it's pancakes or breakfast or a fucking $50 steak, fucking treat the person with some respect, right? Well, that, and if treat the person with some respect, okay? At least when you're here, the city put out a, a PSA at one point to try to, that we, I think we had it on APTV or something. And we should have got it out earlier, but it was like, if you don't come, like quite literally, don't come here, don't come. There is not a business here that wants your business if you are going to put down their staff. They, yeah, they just that, they'll, they'll lose the, the $50. That whatever. type of person seems to have become, and when I tell you, you know, I almost want to mark it down. Like, who are the unrulies? If I see 800 people on a Saturday or Sunday, which is a real number in the summer, um, and I marked down how many people it probably can only be five, maybe that are just like complete maniacs, but it's five groups usually. So that means it's about 30 people, let's say 20 to 30 people. They're and in all, groups. You don't get a lot of like person eating by themselves. Being we, we get, we get most, I mean, honestly, the statistics are, we get mostly ones and twos, but we also do get you know, what do you mean I can't sit at a party of 11? And I'm like, uh, again, we don't, we're not even like designed that way. Our tables are four tops. We have a six and a five. That's it. You know, like there's not much else I can do. So the people have gotten um, brazen is the best, and rude is the best way that I can say it. But if you take those five, the problem with the five is just like bad, bad Yelp reviews. You don't get the great ones all the time. You get, but man, if there's one bad one, they're going to go on there and they're going to be the keyboard. Oh my, yeah. I, Amy, I, I tell people this all the time. If you haven't worked in the restaurant industry, I, when we were in, when I worked in the kitchen, someone who liked the food will t- maybe they'll tell somebody. Right. You know, but if you don't like it, they feel a mission to punish you and tell everybody they know. Exactly. It's like, and they're the worst uh, people. And every restaurant. If anyone's worked in the restaurant knows that there's a, there's a certain kind of customer who comes out specifically to have a bad time. We always used to run into like that person's not happy till they send something back to demonstrate something and you get used to it, but it sounds like their numbers have multiplied. Right. And they've, lo- they've lost control of even what little civility they had before. Agreed. And their numbers have multiplied. And like I said, started saying earlier, I feel like I really have been trying to do research. Like why aren't people 
Why are people rude? Why aren't people coming back to work? Why, why, why? And there's so many reasons. And, you know, but one thing that made a ton of sense to me was they were talking about, there was a very um, similar uh, feeling that went on in New Orleans after Katrina. And because everybody felt like they were like just wronged by mother nature, they were wronged. So many people lost homes, et cetera, et cetera. So there was this like community of F this. And they really had to work on people's, you know, mental state of getting them past that and back to normal, right? Well, now it's happened on a global level. So the whole world feels like they've been wronged. And now they're like, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. And so there is this, I think it's anger being masked as uh, entitlement. I think really is what it gets down to. The family that I said, you know, find a new place to eat this summer. It was early. It was like May. And that was the family that was calling me a moron as they walked down the block. About two or three weeks later, they came back and I was walking out of the kitchen and I circled back around and I was like, oh, no, no, we're not going to make a scene, but we're not going to feed you. So everybody up and get out. And they were like, what? Can't we just can't we just hug and move past it? I said, absolutely not. Yeah. I said, but I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to call you a moron like you did me six times, but you will not eat here this summer. And I thought, well, we'll see how that goes. Cause if they told two friends, I think honestly, cause I never saw it post my guess is they were too embarrassed and that their crew of people probably knows that they're not particularly kind and they kept it to themselves. And you know, there are consequences to actions. Well, that's you- it. And that's a lot of restaurateurs don't take that like stance they'll just keep, you know, you're going to feed me a shit sandwich. I'm going to keep eating it because these are my customers, right? Customer, we've all heard it. Customer's always right. right. Okay. I, I have to, I have to circle back there to shit staff shortages. Cause I just have to tell you what I see anecdotally. Yeah. And then obviously I talk to my neighbors and I talk to the small businesses. And just so you're aware, like I limit how much I can go out because I, I, Heather's worried that I will just get in a fight with somebody who's doing something like that. Like I will never be the person you could sure serve me the shittiest meal. And I will say, thank you. Or the best meal. I will treat you lovely either way. But if I see like an injustice of you yelling at somebody else, or I recently saw a truck get really close to geese crossing the street. I got out of my car. (laughs) So like, I I just have to sit home. I just, I, but to sit home until I have a, until I know for sure, I'm not going to start screaming at somebody right now. But so the late, so 2020 summer labor shortage, no labor shortage. I know there's a major labor shortage in 2021, but what's the difference between 2020 and 2021? Capacity. So in 2020, we didn't have full capacity. We had no indoor for the summer and we only, and we still had to have our six foot distances on outdoor. So our capacity was very limited. So we didn't have to have a full staff. Then all of a sudden we get indoor, then they remove restrictions everywhere. And now we have, so as you know, I've got my outside front. I've got Cross and Orange's outside front that we use. Now I have all my inside seats. We built a kitchen that, you know, is the capacity of 160 seats. Now we have 200. I'm not sure if those numbers are completely accurate, but it's a lot. Um, Plus DoorDash has come in. So all of a sudden, we normally have eight servers on a Saturday or Sunday. We were having five, Um, but they were able to do it because people, majority of people, their expectations, and again, as a chef, you'll appreciate this. We used to work on 70 minute ticket times because 
our food is so fast with the exception of a burger well done, everything else, pancakes, eggs, it moves quickly. Um, that went to 10, 12 minutes and that was acceptable. But then this summer, labor shortage. And again, I can't say that it's just unemployment, which is ending. So we'll see if that moves the needle at all. I just think that, you know, again, I have teenagers, they work, um, but I know a lot of their friends that just felt, oh, and parents too, that felt this was such a shitty year, just enjoy your summer. I'm like, what? Oh, that's interesting. You know, and again, that's really nice if you want to just enjoy your summer, it doesn't bode well for businesses. And it doesn't, you know, it's again, not just, it's every single level, every food purveyor that I have, every produce company, every, everybody is having issues. And it just, so completely I was just talking to the guys at paradise, um, months ago and they, and paradise was having trouble hiring, you know, everything from bartenders to, to, to bouncers. And I know Joe, we're on time. But, and my pushback to them was, you know, why am I, you know, I'm 18 and you're, this is before we were paying a, a bit more than, you know, why am I going to make a couple dollars an hour tips, maybe deal with horrifically entitled people and run the risk of getting sick? Like, why, why would I bother to do that? And you know, I went back and back and forth with the guys at COVID and I, uh, with the guys at Paradise about it, like. I don't know that I would tell my kid to do that or not. It, it it would be a different world if you were being treated as you were in 2020 or you were getting paid more or, or health insurance or, you know, all of these other things. But, you know, I, I guess I kind of got it. I, I, I understand. Yeah. The industry at large. I mean, think about it. There's so many other opportunities to make money. You can DoorDash. You can work at Target and make $18 an hour. You can work at Dunkin' Donuts. You can work at Starbucks and work 20 hours a week, get benefits or at least offered benefits. It, it sounds better than it is, but nonetheless, um, the industry at large, it's like it, you're in this grind and now you're being disrespected. And if you had any desire to get out of the industry, that was for sure your cue to, you know, exit stage right. And just say, I'm going to go. I wanted to be, I wanted to go to school for X. I wanted to do Y. Um, I don't think that people realize how much money they were really making though this summer, because <laughs> it is absurd. You know, we've had people, um, again, serving pancakes and eggs and yes, we're busy, but we never saw days where people were leaving with three, $400. That means they're making well over five before tipping out and things like that. And yeah, they're grinding for it, but you're still only there eight to two during the week mm -hmm. at seven thirty to three. Is your uh, labor shortage, are you seeing it front of house or back of house? Um, so it depends on the location. In Asbury, I've been blessed. I have a great back of house. And actually this summer up until about two weeks ago, I was pretty okay, but now it's front. And um, now the back of house seems to be okay, which in the past has been an issue. But now I'm telling, I have so many people that, you know, left actually for because they weren't comfortable working during COVID and then either just left the industry completely or, you know, by the time they were coming back last summer, I didn't need them because of capacity. So then they found other things to do. You know, it's not a glamour. It's not nothing enticing about it, especially now because all they're talking about is, is there going to be another shutdown? Are we going to have regulations? Are we going to have capacity restrictions? Are Well, if some, you know, when I don't have 19 year olds that work for me during the winter, I've got career servers. They have rents to pay, car payments, families. Like this is their job. This isn't just 
make a few extra dollars during the summer. And the, you know, the uncertainty of the industry really is, I think, I think that is probably what's keeping most people away more than anything. And if you had to say like, what, what would you say were like a couple of good things that, that you got out of COVID? Getting to know the community for sure. Um, and also the people who were loyal, and I mean, I, I had so many of them, they really, I realized that if I went to sell shoes, they were going to come and sell shoes with me. Like they were really working for me. And I don't think I really got that before COVID. I just thought, oh, I, can, I have a decent environment. It's a day job. I don't treat you like you're a complete moron in this industry because I grew up being a server. I didn't grow up being management or an owner. So I came from a you know that point of view of hating to do roll-ups as much as the next guy hated to do roll-ups. Um, so, but now, you know, they are going back to school, which is actually what's killing me, but it's really so nice because like they're upset they're leaving. They feel, we all feel like we've been through this whole thing. And the other thing with COVID, I think that everybody just needed to just on our perspective, the business owner's side, take a deep breath. You know, I never wanted to close on Tuesdays. I thought my, I was going to lose my, everybody was going to go find somewhere else to eat and never come back. That's not the case. Um, we all can take a, a, you know, a day off. We can all get along and not freak out and scream. And being that we're kind of all feeling it from the outside, it's gotten all of our staff a bit closer. Um, because we really, especially since I've been, you know, there every day working with them side by side, they know that, you know, I'm, you know, as, um, responsible to them and vice versa. I'm not just sitting there going, you do it you, you maybe get COVID, you do this, you do that. I was there every single day. Um, and that there's, you can't, you can't ask for more loyalty than that from each other. And I think one, thank you, Amy. I think the takeaway also that you, you talked about and that I certainly felt was like this pause. We don't all need to go, 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 go every minute of every day. And if there was like one blessing of COVID, I think, uh, learning that lesson and making, and for me, I have a personality that you would have had to force it on me, but it was forced on me. And and, and now I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. Thank you so much, Amy. Oh, thanks. This was Thank great. You. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. If you'd like to try some of Toast's fabulous pancakes, you can find them at 516 Cookman Avenue here in Asbury Park. Their website is toastcitydiner.com. And it also looks like they're hiring, but only if you're fucking awesome.